Acts chapter 9 is where we are today. So open to Acts chapter 9. Again, if you're relatively new to refuge, expository preaching is a, uh, a big value for us here, verse by verse preaching through our text. And today uh, we'll find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. We'll pick up in verse 32 is where uh, we left off last week and we will pick up today. So uh, turn there and that's where we'll begin reading our text. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Keep going kind of new story. It's a break in kind of the story. We move on. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging them, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and the widows stood beside him weeping and showing uh, tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa and many who believed in the Lord. He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let me pray again as we've read the word of God. Holy Spirit, take the words that we say today. Impart it all to our hearts today, the words from your scriptures. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's text picks up with God working miracles through the Apostle Peter. And so there's that guy. There's Peter. Uh, We hadn't talked about him in a few weeks. And so we're like, where did we leave off with Peter? So if we remember, uh, as we've been preaching through this, we last saw Peter in uh, Acts chapter 5. Uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 29, and this is one of the last things that was recorded that he said. He said, we must obey God rather than men. That's something for us all to remember, is that we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. After we leave uh, Peter saying those kinds of things, or that thing particularly in chapter 5, we end up, uh, the scripture tells us about Stephen. This outstanding sermon that Stephen preached and and, and, and that enraged the religious leaders during his day. And what happened to Stephen? He was stoned. Remember, we, we brought somebody up here. We brought Josh Holly up here to play Stephen. And I thought he was a deserving uh, a person to be on that end of the stones. Um, but we, we brought uh, Josh Holly up, and he played the part of Stephen. And a bunch of people with big stones. I mean, you had to think about that. that someone, they stoned this man to death. They stoned Stephen to death for declaring the good news of the gospel. We heard about Saul then, because Saul oversaw this, and Saul was just ravaging the church, and that's what we read about again through these last few chapters. 
You saw the story of Simon the magician, followed by Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's where, that's where the text was taking us all through these stories that we see in Acts. And then Acts chapter 9 brought us to the conversion of Saul, how Saul met Jesus along the way, and, and Saul was converted. He was blinded, if you remember, and then Jesus gave him his sight back. He met uh, uh, him on the road to Damascus. And then we see Saul proclaiming Jesus in the, in the synagogues, really to the utter dismay of the people around him. They were like, I don't know if we can trust this guy. I don't know if I want to hear this dude talk at all because I know this dude kills people like me. Yet here was Saul proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. And Saul was finally defended by Barnabas, if you remember that from our text last week, uh, that, that his conversion was true. And Barnabas went to bat for him on his behalf and said, let me just tell you what I've seen about this guy. Let me tell you what I've seen this guy do. Let me tell you about the transformation in this guy's life. There was clearly something different about him. And the difference was that he had been born again. He had been moved from death to life. He had met the resurrected Jesus. And he was different because of it. And then we wrap that up last uh, week with chapter 9, verse 31. This is what uh, 931 said, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and peace was being, uh, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and peace wa and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What do you think it means to walk in the fear of the Lord? I'm not bailing you out. Say it again. All in for God's own shit? Oh, all. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, what? A-W-E, thank you. The all, yeah, being uh, all of God. What else? Respect, yeah. Keep, he's always on your mind, the front of your mind, right? Yeah, what else? A, a fear of the wrath of God, right? Yeah. Somebody said something very silently over here. Understanding the power of God, yeah. So they walked in this. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. Not, a, not necessarily afraid of him, but understanding his greatness. Understanding that he is something different. Understanding that he is, is full of greatness. That he is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the one who holds it together by the power of his word. And he's also a personal God that is this close to us. Close and one who draws nearer than a brother. And so as we come out of, as, we, as we're wrapping up uh, Acts chapter 9, um, we see that the, that the first century church was really initially based in Jerusalem. And, and, and uh, Peter apparently became kind of the, the, the guy that was in charge there, and, and his principal mission was to the Jewish people. That's what we see as we read through the text. And so when Saul was converted... His chief mission, given to him by Jesus, was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Come on, somebody said it. Not a Jew, yeah. Someone who is not a Jew. That, that, so most of us here, I think, are what? Gentiles, good. You're, you're, getting, you're getting this, people. Pat yourself on the back. Right now, do this. Pat yourself on the back. You're getting it, people. So Paul didn't ignore the Jews, but he went to the Gentile world in his missionary journeys that we'll read about a lot here in Acts 
uh, and he was taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. And so, uh, and then we get to where today's text is. And so let's pick up in today's text, verse 32 through 34. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years. If you're an underliner, I would encourage you to underline that in your text. Bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. And that's really the text that we get for the, the, the vast majority of the text that we get from this. Now, Lydda is the New Testament name for the Old Testament village of Lod. It is, look, I'll give you a map here. Look at this. So see where Lydda is right there in the middle? So Lydda is um, located just north of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Joppa, south of Caesarea. So that's kind of an idea of where Lydda is here in our story. And that's where we find ourselves today. And so in the meantime, this, this man named Aeneas, uh, Peter found him just as he was going along and found him in need, found him in need of a miracle, really. Found him in need of something outside himself to miraculously heal him. And so Peter was going along, he was ministering in the name of Jesus, and he encounters this man. And, and so here's an opportunity for us to take a look at what that might mean to you and me today. What, what could we take from just this small little story uh, about this man, and, and what would it mean for you and me, uh, you and me today? How often do you find opportunities to minister to other people? want you to think. Don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself. How often do you find opportunities to minister to somebody else? Or how often do we miss opportunities to minister to other people because we're too busy doing our own thing? Whatever, we're just going through our regular daily lives, going to work, going to school, going to the grocery store, going wherever we go. How many times do we miss these opportunities to minister to someone who is in real need? We, we talk about this often at Refuge, how that, that we're not unlike these men that we find and read about here in, in the scriptures. They were disciples of Jesus. If you're, a, if you're a Christian today, if you've been born again today, if you've been filled with the Spirit of God today, then you are just like these dudes were. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You've been given the same marching orders by our King to go and make disciples of other people. But in today's culture, I'm afraid that Christianity has been turned into, let's say the prayer, let's get my ticket, and I'll just live my life. I'm a Christian, I go to church, but we miss being a disciple of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus that we read about were active in, in being involved in their communities, active in being involved as they encountered people to tell them about, the, about Jesus, about the resurrected Jesus, about what it means to have the Spirit of God that lives within us. Today, that's been defaulted to people like me. Pastors in your church. Hey, something happens, typically we pick up the phone, we call the pastor. Hey, I've got a friend that really needs to know Jesus. Will you come over and talk to him? You know what I'm probably going to say to you? 
Why don't you talk to him? I'll come with you. I'll sit with you. But why don't you talk to your friend? How did you become a Christian? What has God done in your life? What has the Spirit done in your life? I'll come and attest to those kind of things. But we want you, just like, just like we see happening in the Scriptures, as new Christians were rejoicing and they were becoming more like Jesus, we want you to be involved in the work of the ministry. He'll use you in that same way if you're willing and you're open and you're aware. And that has to be the question. Are you willing? Are you willing to be used by the Lord today? Are you open to the leading of the Holy Spirit today? That the Holy Spirit leads you towards someone or leads you to cross paths with someone? Are you willing? Are you open? Are you aware of the people around you? Do you think about the other people around you who go, man, my friend doesn't know Jesus. My coworker doesn't know Jesus. That girl that sits in my high school class doesn't know Jesus. And I sit right beside her. Man, what an opportunity that the Lord gives each of us to encounter people. Th this, this text that we read today is not just some happenstance text. It's to say that God sovereignly, many times, oftentimes, places people within our pathways, within our sphere of influence, so that we can intersect with them, so that we can be the messengers of the gospel. So Peter clearly identified um, who it was that healed this woman. Look at verse 34. Uh, look in there in your Bible. It says, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter was only his instrument. Peter was there, Peter was willing, but he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter did not heal her with the power of Peter, okay? In the name of Peter, get up and walk. Is that what he said? No, of course not. Peter didn't have any power in and of himself. Peter relied solely on the power of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus does the work, you and I just get to be involved, right? But the question comes back to, are you willing? Are you open? Are you aware? If so, that same resurrected Jesus, the spirit that lives within you and me is willing to do and will use you as you go about your way to introduce the resurrected Jesus to other people. Words of verse 34 uh, where Peter says, stand up, Jesus has healed you. And then he says, what does he say after that? Make your bed. Get up, make your bed. How many of you have to make your beds in the morning whenever you leave? Nobody in my house raise your hand, except Carol. You can raise your hand, Carol. You make our bed. Who, who has to make your bed? Let me see, I, let me see. Okay, there's like... 14 of us that, that raised your hand. Why make your bed? That, that seemed odd to me. When I first started reading this, I was like, get up, you've been paralyzed for eight years, now get up and make your bed, boy. I'm like, that seems strange to me. Why do you make your bed in the morning? Those of you who raised your hand, why do you make your bed in the morning? What? Instagram said too. 
Okay, fair. What else? Why don't, you, why don't you make your bed? Outside of Instagram. What? Your mom told you to? Okay, good. Fresh start, okay. Get your day going. Start your day with some, some success. Yeah, right, yeah. What else? You're done, yep. Done. You don't have to think about that. Don't have to come into a mess. Huh? You don't have to do it in the evening? Okay, yeah. So there, you have at least some type of reason why you make your bed in the morning. Um, to me, it seems like a waste of time. I'm like, I'm getting back in this bed. I'm throwing these covers back on me. I'm pulling them out at the end. Like, I need my, I, I, I put my feet out sometimes if I get hot. I put, cover my feet up if they get cold, and that's how I regulate my temperature, you know. And if you've got to pull the covers out from under the thing at the end of the bed, I mean, it seems like a waste of time because I'm going to mess this bed up again, right? And so as I read this, I was like, I don't understand what the thing is. The truth is, whenever we get up in the mornings, we don't really need our beds again until we go to bed at night, right? Whenever we're going to get back in our bed and we're going to lay down and we're going to go to sleep that night. But think about this dude. Think about this guy. He was confined to his bed. How long? Eight years. He was confined to his bed for eight years, and it seems like that Peter probably told him to get up and make his bed because he wouldn't need it any longer for his permanent place to live. You know what I'm saying? He don't need that bed any longer for him to lay in for eight more years. Now, if this were a charismatic church, the organ would have already begun to play. <laughs> Somebody would have had a tambourine. You talk to me. Tambourine would have started ringing. Would have, somebody done stood up and clapped at that. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's, that's right, because he didn't need his bed any longer. He was not paralyzed in the state that he was any longer. His state had changed to something different. And, and Peter was reminding him, things are different now. Things are different now. You're not going to go lay back in that same place where you've been before. Things are now different in your life. And honestly, this, this same scene can kind of be a reflection of us in our own spiritual lives. Certainly, none of us grow at the same pace. I mean, that'd be ridiculous to think that we all grow at the same pace spiritually. One person might shed a sin real easily, and somebody else might wrestle with that same sin, and it just becomes one of those things that, golly, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for his what? Next line is indescribable grace. Okay, thanks be to God for his grace. Because he doesn't expect me to grow at the same pace he expects you to grow. He doesn't say that my path is going to be the same path as yours. We're just trusting in the same Savior all along the way. We know the truth about the gospel, that Jesus saves us from our sins, right? Those of us who are Christians say what? Those of us who are Christians say what? What? Lord have mercy. I need that tambourine. Where's my tambourine? Go get one of those four off my office wall. Uh, so here, here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus is called the double cure. Okay? The double cure. What does that mean? 
Jesus is the double cure. He what? Saves from what? Wrath. And makes us what? Pure. Okay? So there's a song called Rock of Ages that says that same thing. It says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. You know what a cleft is? I'll tell you. Uh, a cleft is a place where you can hide in some rocks, okay? An opening where you can be protected, okay? So when you sing this song, Rock of Ages, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, okay? That means you're high. Let me hide myself in thee. See that? Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin uh, what double cure save from wrath and make me pure see you see you sing that you know that song you know that song many of you sing that song but you're not thinking about the words let me say listen sidebar it's not in the notes we are, we're very particular about the music we sing at Refuge, okay? Extremely particular. I know we've made some of you mad before because we won't sing your favorite song. Mostly because it's theologically incorrect. Or it comes from a church that is theologically incorrect. And we don't apologize for that. Why? Because we sing songs over and over that get into our heads and we want to sing songs that are theologically correct. So when you sing them in your head later this week, that we want you to singing theologically correct things. And Rock of Ages is one of those again. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, the place I hide. Let me hide myself in thee, Jesus. Let the water and the blood, the scripture tells us, from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin. The double cure saved from the wrath of God no longer we don't Christians don't face the wrath of God and at the same time it makes me pure that's the scandalous nature of the gospel that's the good news of the gospel let's keep going so today as you and I live in the already so we are already saved from wrath. We are already made pure and the not yet because we know that even though we're, our standing is that way, that we also still sin, right? Can, we, right? can I get a message? Can I get an amen from my front two rows? Amen. Yeah, yeah. We also live in that same place because we know we're still sinful people. We know that we still sin. We still hide our sin. We're saved from wrath and we are made pure, but we are not yet fully sanctified from the sin that we encounter and it's even its consequences here on the earth we are no longer slaves though to our old life just as this paralyzed man was no longer a slave to his bed he no longer needed a bed for the sickness that had a hold on him and so peter told him you put away this old life you make up the bed wrap that thing up because you have now been made, you have now been healed, you have now been delivered from that thing that held you captive for so long. Tracking with me, church? That can be a picture of each of us who are in now in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 35, and all the res residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And so the, the text tells us that because these people saw this happen, they began to turn to the Lord. 
presumably because Peter was preaching the gospel to them. Peter wouldn't go and say, hey, this was me, pat me on the back, look what I did, because he, I'm sure that Peter just continued to preach the gospel throughout all of Lydda until this is what Jesus does. This is how Jesus delivers. Jesus is your only hope in life and death. Je the resurrected Jesus is the one that you can put your faith and trust in. And so that's how that story kind of wraps up. Then we get to the next story. Here's what the text says. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so as I was reading something, uh, a couple of commentaries about this, the names Dorcas and Tabitha mean deer, like the deer that run across the road you have to watch out for uh, as you know, you're driving down the road. So their name, her name means dear, and so this woman was, the text tells us, a beloved member, or shall I say a dear member? <laughs> a dear member of the Christian church um, during that time. It's what the text tells us. She was a beloved member of the community, and sadly, uh, it also tells us that Dorcas died. Uh, verse 38 said, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay because our dear sister Dorcas has died. So Peter wasn't in Joppa whenever uh, she died, but he wasn't far away. We saw that on the map. And, and the Christians uh, heard that, I'm sure heard all the miraculous things that was going on during the time. And so they sent for Peter and they're like, come please because our, our, our dear sister has died. And, and so I don't know if, if they thought, man, if, if he comes, then he can help us. If he comes, he can raise her back to life. I, I, don't, I don't really know what, the text didn't tell us why they sent for him. They just know that he's, they sent for him. And the text goes on. That's what it says, verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and the widow stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. I thought that was a little bit odd, just as you're doing that, you know, our, 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 our person has died, and look at this tunic she made. You know, I don't know. That's just strange, strange wording to me. I'll go on. I'll let myself out. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. So he, he put them out, said, you guys go out of, the, out of the room. And he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And so again, I'm sure they were hoping for Peter's help as they called him to come. Please come. You know, help the Christian community it, it, whenever we're dealing with this dear sister's death. I, the text doesn't tell us why, but they just said they call for Peter to come. And, and so there's no indication in Acts that, that the raising of the dead was just this normative thing that went on over and over. But there was, there's nothing that tells us this happened every time somebody died that, that they would be raised for, and they would be raised back to life. And so this miracle and a few others that we'll see like it in Acts um, were unusual and they were remarkable. And 
not unlike most of Acts, there are miraculous things that we read about as, as we continue to read and study through Acts over the next number of months as we're in together. But we don't see that as a normative thing now. Yes, we see the Lord at work now, but we don't see necessarily people being raised from the dead now. We don't see things like that happen. And, and so much of what we see in Acts was for the people in that day to believe that Jesus, that Jesus one, was resurrected, and two, that Je- to believe the messengers of Jesus that they sent to him. The Holy Spirit had sovereignly sent these messengers to people with this message that, hey, Jesus is who he said he was. Remember, some of these people were Gentiles. They didn't have a clue about who Jesus was. And so they had to go and tell these stories to the Gentiles, and then they had to believe them, and sometimes miracles would occur so that they could go, oh my goodness, this cat must be telling me the truth. I should believe what's happening here. And so again, so the gospel could spread in a way that it wouldn't normally have spread if somebody just went with a story. And so miracles were some of those things back in the day that was used to say, hey, uh, uh, you can trust what I'm saying because the Lord has sent me here. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Paul Dacus last week shared some things with our congregation that the Lord was doing. Remember that end of our gathering time? He stood up and said, hey, let me tell you what the Spirit of God is doing. And he listed off a number of things that the Spirit of God was doing. He's going to do the same thing again today. He's going to tell you more things that the Spirit of God is doing in our midst. And that may not be raising someone back to life, but it is doing some really things that people are desperate to happen in their lives. And so not unlike we see the Spirit at work here in Acts, we see the Spirit at work here in Refuge. Amen? Yeah, we see him still at work in today. Look, verse 39 said, all the widows were weeping. And again, it it may have been that they just wanted Peter to comfort them or whatever the thing was. Um, And at that time, while all that was going on, Peter sensed, it seems that Peter sensed this need to go, you know what, all y'all get out. Everybody just leave the room. I don't need to see another blanket that was made. Uh, just get out of the room for just a minute, and he sent them all out. Verse 40 says, or verse 40 tells us that Peter, or we can infer, that Peter seemed to remember what it was that Jesus did. Remember, Peter's not doing this on his own. Peter's remembering the things that Jesus did. He is, he is recalling the things that Jesus did. He is, he is recalling the works that Jesus did. Uh, the, he, was, he could have been thinking about what Jesus did in Mark chapter 5 or Luke chapter 8. And, and, and in that healing, Jesus said, uh, that was recorded in those chapters, Talitha kumi. That's the original language. And so Peter, as he probably went into Tabitha, might have said that same thing. Tabitha kumi. Which means come forth. Come to life. And so he finds himself in some of those same situations. And so Peter Peter simply tried to do what Jesus did. Jesus was his leader. He watched Jesus do all these things. That's what discipleship really is about. Somebody out in front of me is doing some things, and they're following, and his guy was Jesus, clearly. And so I'm going to try to emulate what it was that Jesus did. And so as a follower of Jesus, he tried to emulate what it was that Jesus did even in situations like this. 
That's what discipleship does, is. Whenever you enter into a discipleship relationship with someone, it's an opportunity for you to learn from someone who has learned from someone else who is learning the ways of Jesus. So that you too can learn the ways of Jesus. So that you too can have your life conformed to what it means to follow Jesus. That's why you hear us over and over and over and over and over talk about this gathering space is just not enough. We, this is done well. Music's good. Preaching's adequate. Uh, the temperature's sketch. Uh, but this is not enough. We need, all of us, need to be in some type of discipleship relationship where we are learning from someone, even if it's just a step ahead of us, where they've already taken those steps so you and I can learn as they are learning to follow Jesus. It is critical for us to do this because Peter simply tried to do as Jesus did. He was learning from Jesus. And if Jesus did this, then I want to be able to do the same thing that Jesus did. And so the text tells us that this story became known all throughout Joppa, and many believed in Peter. Is that what the text says? Many, Peter did all this stuff, and many trusted Peter. Is that what it says? Well, why not? He, he's, he's the one that raised the person from the dead, right? What happened? What does the text say? Many believed in who? Yeah, many believed in the Lord. Many believed in Jesus. Many believed in Jesus. Peter didn't save this girl's life. Who did? Jesus did. Peter didn't save any of those people who believed. Who did? Jesus did. Peter is not the hero of the story or the church. For my recovering Catholics out there, Peter ain't the hero. Okay? He's not. Pope's not the hero. One hero, what's his name? Jesus. He's the hero. Okay? Jesus is the hero. It is Jesus who saves. Look, it's not the pastor who saves. I don't save nobody. I just, take, I just want to point you to the one who does. It's not your parents who save you, okay? It's not the fact that you, listen, older people, like my age and up-ish, uh, you don't get your parents' faith, okay? You don't become Christians just because your parents were. Young people, you don't become Christians just because your parents are Christians. None of us become Christians because of our parents' faith. We put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's why we encourage you over and over to come to Jesus. Peter did just what Jesus did. He goes on and says, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, this verse, to me, when I read this initially, I was like, oh, okay. Tanner opened his house. Hospitality, that's, that's what I had in my mind. Uh, man, this is a, a, I might go here with hospitality and talk to Refuge about opening your homes and letting people stay in your home. And what a generous guy that uh, Simon the Tanner was for opening his home and letting people come in, right? That'd be a good close. And everybody'd go, oh, yeah, that's really good, Pastor. Uh, but that's, I don't think that's what this text has to do with anything. Uh, This would be shocking to an observant Jew 
for them to go into a house of a tanner because it was strictly forbidden in the Jewish faith for people to have any association with people that dealt with blood, specifically blood of animals, okay? Especially unclean animals. And that's what a tanner did. He worked with dead animals. And so according to the laws of that time, a tanner had to live at least 75 feet outside the village that he lived in because of the constant ritual uncleanness. Blood of, uh, of animals that were considered unclean. There was a commentator that said this, the trade of a tanner was held in such supreme contempt, that means disregard, contempt, that if a girl was betrothed or engaged to a tanner without knowing that he followed that calling, the betrothal was void. That's how much that the, in the tradition of the Jewish tradition that they didn't want to have anything to do with the tanner because he dealt with so much stuff that was unclean. And so I, I think that as for Peter to go and stay with this tanner for some time, for many days is what the text says, I think for Peter to go and stay with this tanner for a number of days, he is becoming less concerned about Jewish tradition or ceremonial notions than he ever was before. And I think that, the, that God was laying this groundwork, not, not only in Peter's life, but for him to show people around him that say, hey, this tradition stuff that you've been holding to for your entire life is not of any value when it comes to righteousness. No value when it comes to righteousness. That, I wish that we could become those people. I want us to become those people that we are not concerned with religious rituals, that we are not concerned with religious hierarchy, that we are not concerned with religious backgrounds, that just we do these religious things over and over again and we think we gain some religiosity by them. This throwaway verse tells us that that brings no value to us when it comes to righteousness unconcerned about tradition, unconcerned about social norms. That's what happened in this, that's what we see happening in this verse recorded in our text. Willing to go to anyone, say anyone. Willing to go to anyone who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it's outside your social norms. You've been born again for a ministry to other people. We, we see that happening with Peter, and we see it happening with Saul, and Stephen had a ministry that, that as brief as it was, was a ministry to, to declare the gospel to other people so that they could hear what it was that he had to say. And we've been given those same types of marching orders. We've been given those same type of marching orders. So you want to know, what does this matter? To your family, you've been given marching orders to your family. You've been given marching orders to your friends. You've been given marching orders to your coworkers, students. You've been given marching orders to your other students and your fellow students in your schools and in your sphere of influences. And we've been given marching orders to anyone who doesn't know Jesus. That's what we see Peter doing here. Is he was going to people that just didn't know Jesus. 
And he was sharing the good news that the Messiah, whom they were all were waiting for, had finally come. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, that, that Jesus raised Dorcas from the dead in our text today. Why not Stephen? Remember our story from Stephen? How, we just talked about that, how he was stoned. And remember, they, we learned that they kind of put them down in this pit and they throw those stones at him. Why not raise that cat? I mean, he, 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 he preached a sermon. Why, why wouldn't you raise that dude and let him keep preaching like that wherever he might go? Why not raise that? Why would you raise this person and not Stephen? I don't know. I don't have an answer other than God is sovereign over all things. God declares what he will do. God chooses who he will raise up and who he will not raise up. God chooses the times and the places that he chooses to do the things that he does. And so Peter was just being obedient in the call to go and say these things over Dorcas and to see God raise Dorcas from the dead. Just like Peter was being obedient, it's our job to be obedient and it's God's job to raise up whom he will. It's God's job to raise those who are dead in their trespasses and sins to life. And it's his choice on whom he will. Some of us don't like that. Sometimes I don't either. That's what the text teaches us. That's what the scripture teaches us. That God is sovereign over all things. He doesn't cut out a slice of the pie. And that means salvation to people. And go... I'm sovereign over everything else except this one little space. And I'll just let you choose what you want to do. <laughs> That's not the God of the Bible, okay? God is sovereign over all things, including salvation. So you go, well, then why do we even pray, preacher? Because that's what he tells us to do. And we pray, and we pray for our people, and we preach the gospel to our people, and we open the scriptures to our people, and we invite our friends to come into our homes. We invite our friends to come to church with us to hear the gospel preached because God not only ordains the ends, what else does he ordain? The means by which people will come to know him, and that is the declaration of the gospel, whether it be from a pulpit or whether it be across your coffee table. God ordains the ends, and God ordains the means. You know, this story is not about the people we read about. It's not about Peter, you know. Uh, it's, it's not about a, a, a Bible character. Uh, many of us have talked about, we grew up in the traditions where uh, Bible characters were the heroes when we, read the, when we read those Bible stories. Hey, this is David, and this is John, and this is Moses, and this is whoever. Be more like these dudes. No, no, no. Those are people who pointed to the one who was greater and better to come. We're not saying be like somebody. We're not even saying like be like Peter here. The, the thing we would say is be obedient like Peter, but trust that it is God who does the work. Peter's not the hero. Who's the hero? Yeah, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the one who raised the life. Jesus is the one who healed the paralytic. Jesus is the one who raised the person to life. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the way, only way, the truth, and the life. And our calling to do, to do that is to be a disciple. Be a disciple. 
What does that mean? That we love and we care for people. We share the gospel with people. Let your hope be built on nothing less. We just sang it. Then what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not on anything else. Not the church. Not a pastor. Not a methodology. But to build our hope on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. And then remember this in the seemingly odd closing to chapter 9 that we just talked about. Peter went to people just like Jesus did. The people that no one wanted to be around. The outcasts. Those who nobody wanted to touch. People who were unclean. He went to those, he was going to people and, and sharing the good news of the gospel around people that nobody wanted to be associated with. Young people, you know people like that in your own school. That nobody wants to sit with at the lunch table. Nobody wants to hang out with because they're weird and they say strange things and it's embarrassing. You probably have people like that in your own gospel community groups. They just say strange stuff. You're like, all right. It's dessert time. Yeah. <laughs> Tara, Tara's raising her hand. <laughs> I love you, Tara. But Peter lives sent to all people. And that's the marching orders for you and me. And that's to simply, Peter simply tried to do as Jesus did. He tried to do as Jesus did. So you may say, well, hey, preacher, why is it that we can have any confidence that we can trust God like Peter did and even do as Jesus did? Why can we have any confidence that, look, I mean, Peter was, I mean, that, that's Peter, you know. He was with Jesus. Why can we have any confidence that when we go out and we're sent out and we're doing these things that you're trying to get us to do and you're trying to talk us into doing, why can we have any confidence that things might be different? Well, this may be helpful. Al Mohler wrote this this week. He said, our God is not waiting to see how history unfolds. Okay? Stop right there. Our God is not waiting to see how history unfolds. The God of Scripture is the God who ordains all things according to the counsel of his will. He is the God who acts in history, just like we saw in our text today. He is the transcendent, eternal, sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient God. That's who the God is that you and I serve, okay? He is not waiting for history to unfold. He is not waiting on someone. He is not, he is not a God that wrings his hands in heaven, worrying about what's going to happen next in our life. He is the sovereign God who has ordained all things. He is behind us. He is with us. He is out in front of us. He exists in history. He exists in the future. And we can trust a God like that. That God does not change. Peter knew that he could do nothing on his own for the people that he was encountering. For these two people that we read about in our text today, but Jesus could and did. Listen to me. You can't, but Jesus can. Okay? You can't, but Jesus can. 
just as Jesus was aware of Aeneas and Dorcas, uh, one being lame for eight years and struggling, one literally being dead, and, and, and Peter admittedly said and was very adamant and when he was saying this, it is Jesus who has done this work in you, it was not me. Both, both of these people had a need outside of themselves. They, they, were, they, they, were, they, they were fully dependent on somebody else, whether they were in a bed or whether they were in a grave or, or dead. The same Jesus that met them in their need, listen, is aware of you today. That same Jesus is aware of your need today. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not absent. He is not, he, he is not sleeping. He is aware of your need today. That same Jesus is aware of your weary soul today. Some of you are weary from running the race. Some of you are weary from the things that are, your life is involved in. Some of you are weary from the barrage after barrage of things that come your way. He is aware of your need. He is aware of your weary soul. That same Jesus, listen, is aware of your longing for something more. Some of you here are chasing many things. You're chasing other things for satisfaction. You're chasing riches. You're chasing position. You're chasing authority. You're chasing drugs. You're chasing girls or boys or what approval from your boyfriend or girlfriend and you'll give up anything to have their approval. Jesus is aware. That same Jesus is aware for your longing for something more. That same Jesus is aware of your needs today. That same Jesus is still aware that some of you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And you know it. You may be religious, but you know that whenever we talk about Jesus and the works that he does and the wonderful person that he is, the, the God-man Christ Jesus, that it doesn't even stir in your affections. And he's aware that you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're outside the household of faith. And that same Jesus has sent me here today to tell you that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay dead in your trespasses and sins. I believe this passage was one of those clear examples to say you don't have to stay in your sick state and you don't have to stay in your dead state spiritually. Just as Jesus sent Peter to be his messenger in those situations, I believe he has sent me here to tell you today there's hope found in Jesus. There's life found in Jesus. There is joy found in Jesus. You don't have to stay where you are. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And today, that same Jesus is not willing that you would stay in your current state. And so we invite you to come to Jesus. Let's pray.